and welcome to Shut Up and Jimmer. I'm your host, Steve Pierce, here as always, joined by my brave, valiant uh, co-host from the snowy climbs of Seattle, Robert F. McCombs the 14th. Robert, how are you? This fine, fine, and very snowy in your neck of the woods. Uh, this fine, I guess, what is this, Tuesday now? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're recording a little bit later than normal, but uh, just circumstances had it the way it is but you know we're here we're always here every week so i mean yeah it's the snowiest winter seattle's snowiest month seattle's had in 50 years so trying to brave some of the elements i mean seattle gets its snow rain but not necessarily its snow but yeah so that's been fun but i mean BYU basketball wise um yeah it was a fun week for BYU to beat up in some subpar teams and got kind of a fun ending stretch for the last five games so ready to dive into it to dive into some basketball and let's let's just dive right into this week. Um, like you mentioned, bad, bad. Well, you know, in Portland's case, extremely bad team. Yeah, Portland I think is so bad. Pacific's <laughs> kind of scrappy, yeah. But two, regardless, two wins this week. Uh, one over a very bad Portland team. I think maybe among the worst teams we've seen in the WCC since uh, BYU joined the conference. Uh, a 35-point win on the road, really taking care of business, and then a 10-point win uh, over a pretty scrappy Pacific team who gave who you know BYU had their hands full with at, in the Marriott Center for for a little while before pulling away uh, in the second half and, and putting that and putting that one away. So on the whole, let's start let's start with the positive as we always do, and I think you know for the first time in a long time, Robbie, there's there's a lot there's just a lot of positive this week and and not as much negative. So let's start there. What did you see that was that was great this week? Yeah, as we expected and thankfully got some a lot of positives to come out. I mean, I don't know if you can necessarily get a lot of pull a lot of long-term implications. Granted, the season's almost over, but just because of the quality of opponents. But I remember last week coming in something we were talking about, knowing the caliber of opponents. I mean, we wanted to see BYU really solidify that rotation and see guys other than TJ and Yoli step up. And then finally for TJ and Yoli to get back into it. So one thing I liked is that some other guys helped fill in the void and really stepped up. Um, that back half, Connor Harding, I feel like conference season, he's, I feel like he had some really good moments in non-conference season, but kind of seemed like he kind of hit the freshman wall a little bit for the majority of conference season. He's had his moments here and there, but he hasn't really put together just a complete game. But I feel like that Pacific game, especially with Jasheer Harden out, because if you remember, fast forward about a month ago, Steve, that first Pacific game early in conference season, Jasheer Harden had 17 points. It was really sparked that BYU win. So BYU kind of needed someone to step up in that Pacific game. And it was awesome to see. I mean, Gavin Baxter's kind of shown his promise and potential the last two weeks, two, three weeks. But Connor Harding, it's finally good to see the freshman step up. I mean, he had 13 points versus Pacific. I think he made three threes, which... In non-conference season, even when he had those good games, the one thing he was really struggling with was three-point shooting. So the one thing he has kind of fixed in conference season has been three-point shooting. So he did that, but he did a lot of other things too. I mean, he had some of the good box outs, which one thing I noticed he's been struggling with, which with his size, BYU really needs him to box out and rebound just with the lack of size. So he had 13 points, and they're just really timely buckets too. He just looked really comfortable. So that was one of the main takeaways I saw. I mean, that was really encouraging to see a freshman Connor Harding here in February after what looked like he hit the freshman wall. Maybe he's finally the last month of the season kind of <clears throat> acclimated, got used to the rigors of college basketball coming from high school. So that was really good. And then 
the past couple of weeks we've seen Zach Selyus off the bench roll. I think I think that fits him really well. I mean, he struggled a lot in the starting lineup, but I think now it's becoming since he's done it multiple games playing well off the bench. I think it's kind of become a pattern now that's that's his identity. He's a really good spark off the bench. He had some games where he kind of padded his stats with garbage time, but I mean, he had 12 points versus Portland. I mean, everyone did well versus Portland. It seemed like, but I mean, he's hitting shots. I mean, more than just hitting shots, I've noticed he's. With Dalton Nixon not playing, he's filled a little bit of what Dalton Nixon does, which is some of his hustle. He gets some rebounds. He plays. He gets down on the floor. So, I mean, not only the scoring, because you know Zach can shoot, but he's providing some of those other things too, which I think has really helped round out his game. He's getting to the basket. He's getting rebounds. I mean, he's making threes. I mean, Zach providing that, I mean, that's excellent off the bench. And then Nick Emery, finally, he the past week where he had that game, five for five for threes, I mean, he didn't necessarily put up huge points. He had eight points both games, but that Pacific game late, he had a, a pair of threes that really sealed the game. So even though he didn't have the big point totals necessarily, I mean, he was rebounding, he was playing defense, which he's, I mean, he's, he's shown he's BYU's best perimeter defender this year. But I mean, those two clutch reasons, Pacific, which shows, okay, it finally seems like Nick's guy getting his groove. Not only is he scoring, but he shows he can make clutch shots when it matters. So I think that was my biggest takeaway. You really wanted to see with the quality of opponents. You wanted to see other guys step up, and we saw that. And then Yoli and TJ did their thing. But I mean, that was was really encouraging to me when you're playing these caliber opponents that BYU had other guys step up, and it it was it was a good sign to see finally. Yeah, and it's uh, we we talked before how kind of the number of bench points has been a little bit of a a golden a golden number. If BYU can get over twenty points uh, in terms of contributions from bench players, uh, their num- their record is really really good this year, and that continued uh, this week. They had twenty eight bench points versus Portland, twenty two versus Pacific. Obviously, came away with two. Uh, two hand, uh, w- two wins that they that they uh, were able to get handily. Uh, in addition to kind of the ones you mentioned, I think McKay Cannon is just continuing to show his value as a defensive player. And yeah, in that starting lineup, I mean, we bagged on McKay Cannon a lot uh, early on in the season. And, you know, he's still not a big scorer, um, but he's proven his worth uh, as a defensive stopper. He had a great game against James Bateman uh, a couple weeks ago against LMU where he held him scoreless. This week he took uh, Portland's, pretty much Portland's only serviceable player, uh, Colton Shaver, uh, who's, a, who's a good player, and held him to just nine points. He normally averages 15 or 16. So that was just a really good, uh, really good defensive performance making kind of Portland's lead guard uh, really work. And I think that's becoming... Becoming a pattern for McKay, which is which is really mm-hmm. good for BYU. They need, you know, we've always said, they need more guys who are willing to take the defensive end of the ball uh, seriously, and uh, and and he certainly has shown that. And we even, you know, <laughs> against all against all odds, we even got clutch Luke Worthington yeah, minutes. That was beautiful. Uh, again, <laughs> against Pacific, uh, Dave rode with Luke down the stretch uh, instead of Gavin, which I'm going to be very honest. I was yelling I, at I the was, TV. I think I was like, why is Gavin's on foul trouble? Why is Luke playing these minutes? And Luke did his thing. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. I didn't think it would end well, but kudos to to Dave for seeing the seeing what he saw because he 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 rode with Luke down the stretch, um, and Luke played really well. Luke, I think, scored a, a big bucket there, got a got a, a block or a stop, uh, secured some big rebounds. Just just played really well. So even you know someone like Luke who's struggling, we've been questioning, you know, where does he really fit in this new world where Gavin Baxter uh, has kind of uh, come out of his shell a little bit. Uh, Luke was able to really chip in on that in that Pacific game down the stretch, and I thought that was that was great to see for him, particularly 
uh, as a senior and as as the captain what, to to play that role. What's the saying, Steve? A broken clock is twice is right even twice a day. So I mean, Dave Rose he finally got the Luke <laughs> Worthington thing right. I mean, it, 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 it works uh, here and there, but it, mostly kidding. But I mean, it it was. I mean, I I love Luke. Luke's uh, I think he does provide good things. So it was good for him to see him step up late in that Pacific game. Yeah, it was bound to it was bound to go right sometime. Yeah. But it hadn't been going right for a while. <laughs> uh-huh. And we mentioned I mentioned Gavin Baxter. Um we it's it's common knowledge that we're great lovers of Gavin Baxter and yes. his game uh here on this uh on this podcast. And you know, Gavin had a solid week. I mean, we talked about all the other guys who, who kind of pitched in and had great weeks. Gavin also had a real solid week. And he's not gonna go, it's not realistic to expect him to go for twenty five and ten every game uh as a freshman. He's still kind of figuring it out um but he had a really solid week the against portland 5.7 boards and a block uh and then against pacific i thought he had a really good game nine points three boards three assists two blocks was just kind of everywhere and he's doing all of that while scoring really efficiently i think he's you know shooting 60 70 from the field consistently now um a lot of that's helped by the fact that he's taking most of his shots around the rim but you know, there's a lot of guys who take shots around the rim that don't that don't necessarily finish. I think his length is really helping him get over guys and and finish. And you know, he's not a secret anymore, right? Teams are teams. He's on the scouting report now. Teams are game planning for him, and he's still finding ways uh, to impact the game and, and be effective, both on the offensive end of the floor uh, and the defensive end of the floor. And I think that you know the Pacific game. It was huge for him. I think he was a key difference maker. And maybe without him, you know, BYU probably doesn't win that game. Uh, it was a 10-point game. He chipped in nine points. And then just all the other great things that he was doing, both offensively and defensively, in terms of distributing, um, in terms of uh, protecting the rim. So it's been really fun to see him kind of continue to grow, even though he's not going to put up 25 and 10 every night, just continue to get better, continue to get more comfortable, continue to figure out how to play at this level, um, and even start to experiment and try new things as he gets more comfortable. Uh, he's been attacking off the dribble more, uh, which I think is a really key piece of his growth moving forward past this year. Um, he's kind of been played at more of a five right now uh he's gonna end up playing more four maybe even some three i mean if he wants to play at the next level a three slash stretch four is kind of the ideal position for him so he's gonna get moved there uh eventually um once yoli moves on and so to see him start to attack off the dribble more look comfortable even throw out a nasty spin move like he threw out this week um which i highly enjoyed that was just all very good stuff to see from gavin baxter so i think another solid week of growth and progression from him was was really encouraging yeah it was it was great to see all those things i mean i think one thing i've been seeing too with this confidence um i know you remember the illinois state game or that first half where he, had, he missed three front ends of the one and one, it's like, oh, Gavin. Yeah. But his free throw shooting has gotten a lot better. So I think yeah. that's one big indication of that his confidence is really improving. And I mean, there's no reason why it shouldn't be just because he's playing so well. So, but I mean, with it's just like that spin move, him attacking the rim. But I think his free throw shooting, I, I mean, his percentage still isn't great because he shot so poorly at the beginning of the year. But I mean, he's not a liability at the line anymore. Teams can't employ a hack at Baxter late in games. So I think free throw shooting is one of the indications I've seen that his confidence has gone way up. I mean, with him, if he's seen to be, he's going to be finishing at the rim a lot. So naturally he's going to probably get fouled more often than the average player. So that's good to see. I think to me, that's a big indication that his confidence has improved a lot um, as it's gone along. So, I mean, overall, Steve, I, mean, I think we touched on a lot of things, a lot of the good things we saw this week. Um, it's good to see Yoli finally get back on track. I mean, just to kind of finish things off. Um, he had seven, he had double-double versus Portland and Pacific. So, I mean, he still worked to do in the doubles on getting, 
navigating the double team. I remember that the very literally the first play of the Portland game. I remember he threw a turnover when he got double teamed. I'm like, oh great, it hasn't got fixed. But I mean, overall, I thought he did pretty well navigating the double team. And he found guys cutting to the basket. He found three point shooters at the outside. So overall, I thought he did pretty good. I mean, granted against the the level of competition, but I mean, I think he did. Coaches finally put different things in the scouting report. He watched a little bit of film. So it's good to see him. And then the other guy, the two-man tandem, TJ, had 22-3 and three versus Portland. I mean, Pacific, he only had eight points. But I mean, again, he had that seven-assist game, which kind of seems like his number. He's hit a lot this year. So we touched on the, the kind of role players did well, but it's good to kind of finally see the two guys that really carried BYU. They finally seemed like they finally found a rhythm. Yeah, we were we were skeptical last week, kind of if what what where what direction Yoli was trending, right? He he didn't have a great week. Uh, really was struggling with that double team. It was nice to see him kind of start to figure it out. And I think you know the thing that he's that was nice to see is he's not feeling like he has to make the most difficult pass because a lot of time the the guy that's open is on the skip, right? And he's trying to, that's just a hard pass to make when you're in kind of the short corner and you have two guys on you and you're trying to throw a cross court skip pass to an open man. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a real tough, that's a real tough uh, ball to throw. It's just a long ways. Even if you're as strong as Yoli Childs, it's hard to throw accurately when you got two guys in your face. And that's why I think for him, just finding uh, more simple passes that he can make out of that double. Uh, they were bringing Gavin Baxter as a flasher across the lane to as kind of a closer option. He hit that several times. I think that was a nice adjustment by the by the coaching staff to make more options available to him. And even if he just passes back up to the guard on the wing, and then that guard is in a better position to make a to make a quick skip or to swing the ball to the top of the key, that also takes advantage. As long as it goes quickly, um, that can take advantage advantage of the defense being out of position when they bring the double uh, and moving the ball. And also Pacific didn't double Yoli on the catch uh, Mm -hmm. very often. That was something that I thought was interesting. They opted to kind of play him straight up. Uh, And as we've seen, when you play Yoli straight up, he kind of feasts. He had 19 and 13 versus Pacific, just a real, you know, not the most monster game because he's had some real doozies, but a, a really solid, strong game for him. And you can't, these teams can't afford to play him straight up because they'll make him pay. And then TJ, I think the key for TJ is, you know, if the shots are falling, which they certainly were against Portland, the guy was just hot out of his mind. Um, that's great. But making sure, and I think where we've seen growth from TJ this year is when the shots aren't falling, uh, finding mm-hmm. ways to impact the game outside of his shooting. And there were, over the last couple of years, there have been plenty of games where if the shots weren't falling, TJ was kind of a non-factor. That hasn't been the case this year. Like you mentioned, uh, when the shots aren't falling, he's still finding ways to impact the game, uh, particularly with his distribution, the seven assists versus Pacific, even though he shot horribly, uh, he was still making making his mark on the game, making his teammates better, opening up opportunities for other guys. And I think that's a huge sign of growth for TJ and, and something that should be really, really encouraging uh, for for all BYU fans moving forward, because they're really going to need TJ uh, both this year and next uh, to continue to be a source of consistency for this team. Yeah, so I mean, I, I agree. I think that's the biggest growth I've seen from TJ as well. Just when he's not shooting the ball well, he's he's consistent distributing. So I think that's a really good just the growth he's had this year. So I mean, overall, Steve, I mean, it was a good week. I I don't think there was a lot of bad, which I mean. Hopefully, which is we expected, and that's what we got. To have bad against Portland, they have all the bad monopolized. Yeah, they yeah that they're horrible. But I mean, I mean Pacific scrappy. They'll always give you a scrappy game. They'll have a, they'll shoot sixty foul shots a game. But uh, 
one thing I did notice, um, I think that's definitely worth monitoring going forward. Um, we saw Jashir Harden that he re-injured his hand. I, I, I can't. I don't know exactly how it happened, but um, he. I don't I, know if that's clear. I don't know if he said how it happened, but they said it happened during the during the Portland. Yeah, game at some I remember point. him like he was kind of grimacing and he was holding, clutching his hand. So I don't know if he got hit awkwardly, but I mean, whatever the case is, I mean, he didn't play versus Pacific. Um, so I mean, that's still something to monitor going forward. And I think Jashir's a good player, but I mean. With him just kind of going in and out, I don't know how much he can improve this BYU team the last month of the season, especially with the way Nick Nick Emery, uh, McKay Cannon, and Connor Harding are playing. I'm not sure how he fits into that guard role. So I think BYU is going to be conservative with Jashir, especially with some of the past things that have happened the past month or two with him, uh, just about leaving the program. So but I mean, that is something to monitor going forward, see how Jashir, if he is able to come back, and if so, um, how he's integrate into the lineup with some of the other guards playing playing well it's a great question because it's you know it's really hard it's really it's hard enough it's really hard to step away from basketball for a month not play for a month and not lose your rhythm right and since he's Mm -hmm. come back from that hand injury we've seen that he's kind of out of rhythm he has he's kind of been a non-factor he hasn't really been able to contribute like he was contributing before probably made more difficult by the fact that, you know, it wasn't just that he was injured keeping out for a month. There was the whole saga of him leaving the program and then being convinced to come back because he didn't really have any better options and all the feelings around that. And just, just, there's some bad juju that, that could be lingering there. I don't don't know for sure, but at the, at the very least, it's hard to keep your rhythm when you're out for a month. Um, So even when he's been on the floor, it hasn't been great. He hasn't been really a, a factor like he was before. Um, and yeah, I think now that the hand is re-injured, what is kind of the status going going forward? It, it seems that it's the hand hasn't really fully healed, or if it has healed, it hasn't healed enough to where it, you know it's not you know prone to re-injury. Um, so is he going to be on the floor if he does play? Does he have the capacity to have an impact on on the game? Is it too late for him to kind of regain a use regain a useful rhythm? Uh, I don't think he'll ever be fully out of the rotation if he's healthy, just because this isn't a BYU team with a ton of options. But you're right; you're definitely going to see. You know, I think fewer minutes go his way, um, particularly with the play of of Nick and and Connor and and Kay and others on that guard line. Uh, it, there's just fewer minutes to be had because there's other options that maybe weren't available to Dave Rose earlier in the season when Jashir was eating up eating up more of that time. So it'll be interesting to monitor that going forward. I don't think there was anything else that I saw this week that was cause for concern or alarm or worry. So let's hop right into kind of you know where we are right now. Where does this where does this leave us uh, right now, Robbie, in this BYU team? Yeah, it's BYU is in a really interesting spot. It's it's been a weird year, Steve. Like it's been a down year for BYU. I think most fans can agree with that. But I mean, BYU still in the thick of things in the not in the WCC race to win it, but as far as getting. Nobody is in the thick of that race except for Gonzaga. No, and that's not necessarily diamond of the WCC, but I mean, Gonzaga beat St. Mary's by 48 points. And granted, it's a down year for St. Mary's, but that was obscene. That was, Can I just say that? That was so gross. That was just it like, was gross, but that's it was what great. you wanted. That's what you want to do to your arrival, oh, right? Man. You just want to bring them in your house and humiliate them. Can you imagine being them. Utah by 48 points? Like, oh, it would be so sweet. I, that was, yeah, that was unreal, that performance. I think St. Mary's, even, you knew it was like Randy Bennett, he's known for his like 
not even giving handshakes really at the end of the lines, but he gave like Mark Few a bro hug at the end. I was like, whoa, like he just like acknowledged like, yeah, you guys just whooped our butts. So, I mean, Gonz- Randy Bennett's still the worst. Yeah, yeah oh, no doubt. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Gonzaga, they're just wrecking everybody. So, I mean, I'm not even, it's a race for second seed right now to get that double buy. So, I mean, BYU's in, it's a really interesting spot right now, Steve. So, BYU's sole possession of second place. They're game and a half ahead of St. Mary's in San Francisco, who are tied for third. But BYU, I think, for the rest of the, BYU has the, toughest remaining schedule for any of the contenders for that second spot in the WCC. I mean, BYU is five games left and the next four BYU is going to be underdogs. in. I mean, granted two of those, one of those on the road at um, LMU, Ken Palm gives a 48% chance to win. So BYU to win. So that's a toss up. And then San Francisco game, that's a toss up as well. I mean, speaking of San Francisco, I mean, San Francisco's favorite in the remaining six. So, I mean, they have a significantly easier schedule than BYU. And then St. Mary's, their favor in the next five, and then they end at Gonzaga. So, I mean, I just count everyone's going to lose to Gonzaga. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I would say right now, if I had to place money, it's down to BYU and San Francisco. Um, I think, I don't know how St. Mary's recovers from losing by 48, and I haven't been overly impressed by St. Mary's either. So, I think what the huge game's going to be, Steve, is in a couple of weeks, I think it's on the 21st in Provo, that BYU-San Francisco game. And I would say, and I mean, that's not going to hundred percent decide to get second, but it's whoever wins that is definitely going to be in the driver's seat to get that double buy. I mean, that's going to be a, a huge game and we're still, uh, I mean, this drops tomorrow, eight days away from that. But I mean, that's the game I have circled. It's like who, whoever wins that is most likely going to get the second spot. So, I mean, it's a really interesting race because I mean, BYU has some toss up games. San Francisco has a really easy schedule. BYU is going to be their hardest remaining game. So, I mean, I'm kind of excited to see this last two to three weeks, see how this WCC race finishes up. I mean, if I had to put my money in it, I would say San Francisco gets second, BYU gets third. But, I mean, I think it all comes down to that BYU-USF game in about a week and a half in, in Provo. Yeah, I think that's going to be the key. You mentioned, you know, BYU probably needing to go, you know, three at and least. two at worst mm-hmm. to have a real a real shot at second, and that one of those two losses cannot be to yeah. San Francisco. You mark Gonzaga as a loss for sure. So, mm-hmm. yep, and then they can maybe lose one other game, and it cannot be the San Francisco game because they're going to need mm-hmm. they can't they can't totally lose the tiebreaker with San Francisco because they've already lost one there. Um, it's so that that's going to be just in order to even keep up in the loss column with San Francisco, uh, assuming they're going to lose one of these others that they're not favored in. Um, you know, they're going to need to win. That's going to be a really big game. And it may, like you've said, ultimately decide who's going to be, who's going to be the second, the second seeded team. Um, which is, which is huge coming into the conference tournament. And that kind of brings us to our last, segment which is this next week this coming week right now or the week that we're in this is maybe i think it's you know despite how big that san francisco game is i think this is the biggest week of the season for byu Mm -hmm. they're going to usd on thursday to san diego and then to loyal marymount on saturday both games they're favored they're they're underdogs this is byu has never struggled byu never struggles at lme or san diego (laughs) Yeah, and they're they're rightfully underdogs, uh, pretty uh, by a wider margin against San Diego than than LMU, which is more of a toss up. Um, but it's just these are places that BYU has really has really struggled in the past. Um, just kind of taking a snapshot of these guys, 
San Diego is a very good team. Uh, beat Colorado, uh, San Diego State, who BYU lost to, and then uh, Washington State, who's kind of had a had a rebirth here in the Pac-12 season uh, in the non-conference. Lost at UW uh, by three. They're undefeated in the Pac-12 right now. Then again, the Pac-12 is kind of a garbage conference, but take that for what it is. Um, this and this is BYU's first time seeing them this year. So they've been a good team to this point. We're really strong in the non-conference. Struggled a bit. Uh, here in conference, but this is the first time BYU is going to see them. Uh, and, you know, like you mentioned, BYU has never played well uh, in the Slim Gym. They never played well at the Jenny Craig Pavilion. Uh, they've lost, actually lost in San Diego on this road trip on in three of the last four seasons. They've lost their road, their road game against San Francisco. And the only one that they won, they only won by two points. They just barely squeaked it out. And San Diego was terrible that year. So, mm-hmm. This is a place that they've really struggled to win. San Diego is very good. They're very balanced. They have three guys who score in, in, in double figures. Isaiah Pinero is kind of their uh, combo forward. Uh, Olin Carter III, who's a great shooter, has burned BYU in the past. Uh, and then Isaiah Wright, who's a distributor, a, Ute, a former Ute, uh, who, so, who may you know have a little bit more uh, extra motivation to put another hang another L on BYU. So on the whole, I think that's just going to be an incredibly tough game. Uh, for the Cougars, are always hard to get a win in the Jenny. Um, but this year, I think maybe even harder than in the past. Yeah, it's a tough year. I mean, you saw what they did in non-conference season. Um, they beat a, a few Pac-12 teams, beat a San Diego State team handily, who we saw what they did to BYU. So, I mean, and BYU, almost, BYU hasn't really dropped any bad non-conference bad conference games this year. And granted, neither one of these games would be bad losses. But I mean, BYU, outside of like the San Francisco, St. Mary's, and Gonzaga. BYU hasn't lost to anyone else. So, I mean, and going, we'll just we'll touch on it real quick. The second half of that trip Saturday, LMU. I mean, really saw LMU, I think, was a week and a half ago um, in Provo. That first half was really ugly, but I mean, that, that was the Gavin Baxter game, Steve. That was the game that finally, I think, all the basketball supporters, BYU basketball fans said, well, who this Gavin Baxter guy is legit. That was the game he had 25 and 10, and BYU really um, blew it up in the second half. So, I mean, the game will live in our memories forever. We'll, we'll never forget the, the Gavin Baxter coming out party. That, that was a beautiful game. But, I mean, LMU is still a tough team, and they have 17 wins on the year, which is more than BYU has. So, I mean, they're a tough team with their pace. They really slow it down. They really force you to be patient in your half court sets so i mean and we've seen the past BYU has always seemed to struggle at lmu so i think at a minimum if, if BYU splits i mean BYU's par for the course i mean a sweep would be BYU would no doubt by far be in the driver's seat for that second spot because i mean st mary's already lost at san diego so i mean if BYU splits here they're they're still in a solid place it still comes down to that san francisco game but i mean lose both of these and you're really you, then you have to, at that point to start hoping that San Francisco and St. Mary's drop some games that they shouldn't. So, I mean, it's not impossible. It's not like BYU plays Gonzaga this week, but they play tough teams that that could easily that these games could go both ways. So, I mean, as far as predictions, Steve, um, I think BYU loses to San Diego. I think San Diego matches up well. I think Isaiah Pinero. I think he could hang with Yoli. Um, I think they have enough depth. They have just enough guys that they could get BYU trouble. But I think I think BYU does beat LMU. I think BYU never wins handily at that place in LA. But I think BYU would be they already beat them by eighteen. I think BYU wins the second half. So I'm saying a split loss at San Diego, win versus LMU. I think that's the most likely outcome uh, as well. I think 
a real key to that LMU game is going to be being able to control uh, James Bateman again. I don't think that they're going to be able to hold him scoreless in his own gym, but I think a lot is going to rest on the shoulders of McKay Cannon and Nick Emery kind of trading off on keeping him contained because uh, I think that was a huge key to that win in Provo. And it's going to be even more important uh, when they meet up in Los Angeles. I'll, I'll say the same. Uh, loss at USD just because the Jenny Craig Pavilion is a seventh circle of hell for BYU fans, uh, <laughs> and we, nothing good will ever happen there. Um, and then a close, a close, hard-fought win uh, over Loyola Marymount. And, and to your point, you know, I think if this is this week, I don't want to blow it out of proportion, but I really feel like this week is the week that decide the trajectory of the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. If BYU, and it's probably not the most likely outcome, but if they somehow go 2-0 and this week and get two road wins, that puts them on the inside track to having to that second seed in the WCC tournament. They If they get both of these wins, um, they still have some tough games ahead of us. Um, got Obviously got the USF game, uh, got Gonzaga, which you're going to assume you're going to lose, but you're on the inside track and you control your destiny if you go 2-0 and this week. If you go 2-0, and it's in your hands to beat San Francisco. And if you beat San Francisco, you pretty much, I think, locked up the two seed. If you go one and one, you're still alive, right? You're still alive. The, the opportunity is still yep. there. It puts a ton of pressure on that San Francisco game uh, and on every game that's remaining uh, outside of Gonzaga, which everyone assumes you're going to, you're probably going to lose. And if you win, then, you know, that totally changes the math. Um, and if you go 0 and 2, uh, I think you can you can clearly unless something really weird happens and Gonzaga has a brain fart in their own gym again and let's BYU win in Spokane uh, yet again you're probably you're you're out of the running you're looking at the third seed having to win an extra game in Vegas to even you know dream yeah. about getting to the NCAA tournament yeah. so I, I think that's I think this is a huge week and I don't think we can I I, I don't think it's possible to oversell that no um, so I think it's going to be real interesting to see how BYU responds because they have been playing really well lately granted not against the greatest opponents but I hopefully they can carry some of that momentum and that confidence that they've been building into this week because I think it's it's very huge and maybe the biggest week of the season yeah I mean I agree with all that I think one and one or zero and two is the most likely outcome I be very pleasantly surprised at two and zero, but I mean at this point we're almost to the, it's crazy that basketball season's almost over for BYU. I mean at this yeah. point, what BYU's playing for, you're playing to get to the conference title game, and then you're playing that conference title game. Maybe God steps yeah. in, exactly. magic, magic happens. happens. In the words of I mean, you're, you're playing literally nothing to lose. You maybe TJ Haas just starts draining thirty footers like he did his senior year at Low Peak. Maybe Gonzaga has their worst game of their life. I mean, you play that game because that's the beautiful thing about college basketball. It's not over till it's over. I mean, college football, I mean, BYU loses two games. It's like, okay, you know what bowl game you're going to at the end. I mean, I love college football. But basketball, I mean, you play. it's always played in the court. You get to that championship game and then, hey, you, you play with that nothing to lose mentality, which, I mean, BYU would lose by 30 to Gonzaga. But I mean, hey, you have that point. And the best chance to get there is to get that double buy. So you only have to play one game in order to get to Gonzaga. So, I mean, that's what I'm looking at. I mean, BYU still is on the cusp of the NIT. I mean, I, NIT bracketology is a thing. And BYU is the last team in on board of the NIT bracketology things I saw. So, I mean, I don't think any fans are excited by four straight years of the NIT. But it means, yeah, so you're playing to get to that championship game against Gonzaga. Who knows what happens in the best way to get there is to get that second scene double by. I don't know what type of human being, like what, 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 do you, what happens in your life to get you to the point 
where you're doing NIT bracketology I, just as a hobby. Yeah, I can't imagine there's a lot of money and a lot of demand for a, I'm, I can't imagine a lot of people 2 a.m. like Googling, okay, who's, what's the latest, and who's the last four into the NIT or who's the first four out? I mean, I mean, that's, that's a true college basketball junkie. I want, Steve, we need to find out if there's any CBI or CIT bracketology out there. I mean, that, that it has to be, there's just people out there who just really love mediocre basketball. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, apparently we do cause uh, we've been watching it the whole season, but, uh, uh and for several seasons, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, <touché. laughs> so I guess we're, uh, we are the, we are the ones we've been yeah, waiting we're, for. We've been, making, we've been making fun of ourselves just, just barely. So we're, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, whatever folks, it's a big week. Say your prayers, pay your tithing. Pick up pennies, hopefully that are heads up on the ground that Is can that bring thing? us some luck. I, uh, yeah, lucky pennies on the ground. That's another thing. I mean, Am heads, I weird? They have to be uh, heads up. I think that's what makes it the uh, lucky penny. Is must that be not? one of those weird East Coast things. I don't know. Uh, so uh, I don't know, man. Maybe Coasters. I picked it up in my eight years here yeah. on the East Coast. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, maybe get a, get us on Twitter and tell me if it's weird that you know I always thought that it wasn't a lucky penny unless the head was up. But maybe maybe tails up is good too. In any case, pick up the lucky pennies. Yeah. Get at us on Twitter and let us know if I'm a weirdo or if Robbie's Steve's just weird. throwing yeah. unnecessary shade at the at the folks from the East Coast. You can talk to Robbie at at RT McCombs on Twitter and myself at Post Jimmer. Uh, special thanks and big shouts as always to our intern uh, and our mastermind behind post Jimmer or behind post Jimmer behind yes behind me but also behind shut up and Jimmer uh, our good friend and Phil Hyatt Twitter handle uh, and twi- uh, at oh shout out yeah. to get follow Phil at on Twitter Tar-Hill he needs some Cougar followers follow tw- Tar Heel Tar Heel Cougar or Tar Heel Cougar Tar Heel Cougar 14 so make sure to give our right. give Phil a follow he does awesome things for us can't say enough good things about him Tar Heel Cougar 14 on Twitter, Phil Hyatt. He's going to bring you the hottest, freshest, most high quality takes uh, on BYU sports you can possibly have uh, outside of, you know, me and Robbie, of course. Of course. You know, we're take machines. Um, You don't get your own podcast by not having takes. Um, Well, really, you just get it by having a microphone but whatever in any case big week out there cougar fans stay positive uh stay loud cheer on your cougars if you're in the southern california area hope to see you out representing uh representing the the boys except jake welch you can stay home jake welch don't go to this game don't not i know they're in los angeles this week jake do not go to loyola marymount this week we saw what happens at pepperdine when you don't go we won the game do not ruin this for us jake we cannot afford cannot afford your bad luck at this game but for the rest of you please go show up support big byu fan base there um and be loud i know robbie and i from our opposite sides of the country will be doing the same and i'm sure all of cougar nation will so until we talk to you next week as always go cougars